I felt guilty all the time. I felt embarrassed. I felt guilty for asking for help all the time. I felt angry sometimes because, you know, I had a boss once who said, uh, I said, can I take some time off my child's ill? I think when the kids were ill. And he said, well, it depends what's important to you. It was that sort of conversation. Yeah. You're listening to the Risky Mix Parenthood Diaries. Join us as we explore the lives of working parents in insurance, the highs, the lows, and the laughs in between. I'm Katie. I'm Raj. And I'm Josie. Come learn and be inspired by our guests' stories and let's work together to create an insurance industry that supports working parents the way it should do. And a quick thanks to our series partners, Genesis and the Camelot Network, for their ongoing support and making it possible for us to do what we do. Hi, Katie here, and welcome to this episode of the Parenthood Diaries, where we focus in on the topic of single parenting and speak to two inspirational women who are absolute superwomen in my eyes. Sonia Homewood is an executive coach and independent consultant, and Amanda Thompson is global senior manager for ESG at Element Materials Technology. Both ladies share their personal experiences as single working mums and the challenges that come with that. Plus, we look at how things have changed over time the better I should add. We also discuss how workplace policies are only one piece of the puzzle to supporting single parents. We hope you enjoy listening to the episode as much as we enjoyed recording it and we'd love to know what you think so let us know on social media. Sonia, Amanda, welcome to the Risky Mix podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So today's episode we are talking all about life as a single parent and juggling a career alongside that, which I think any single parent is a, is a superhero in my eyes. So we're really, <laughs> really, really lucky to have you both here with us today. So to start off, Sonia, it'd be lovely to hear about your story and your, yeah, your, your parenting journey, I suppose. Yeah, thanks, Katie. And thank you for inviting me onto your podcast today. I'm really grateful to be here. Um, so I guess my story starts back in the 1990s. I um, I had two children in the 90s. Um, I actually have four now because I'm a step parent as well. Um, but in those days, I, I had um, I had two kids in the 90s and I got divorced uh, amicably, I might say, when they were quite young. And when I, I think back to work, I, I sort of fought for promotion as a single mom because I was thinking, oh gosh, you know, when um, I got divorced, I had to buy my own house. So mm-hmm. it was a, it started then the sort of fight for promotion, and I wanted to work as well as have my own house and still provide things for the kids, you know, and have holidays and, and give them the lives um, that they wanted. And as a consequence, I guess I had to rely a lot on other other means to help support those children when I was working so family and um an au pair a couple of au pairs at some point but um I didn't I didn't feel very comfortable asking for time off to go to to school events um and I suppose really I I don't think actually men were that comfortable at the time either I don't think anyone really asked if they could go to school events um without thinking they might look bad if I'm honest back in the 90s yeah so I guess that's that's my story yeah that's absolutely thanks for sharing yeah and and Amanda tell us about you and and your journey um okay so um thank you very much for the invitation as well um I really have welcomed this opportunity to share um my experience as being a single single mum um 
And my son is um, six. Um, I left my husband when, um, when Harvey was about 14 months. So I've been a single parent, right, I think, from the earliest <laughs> opportunity, if you, if you call it that. Um, and that was in Switzerland. We've now relocated back to um, the UK two years ago. And I, like Sonia, working in financial services um, for the last 20 years. And it, it's a juggling act. So I was in my mid to late 30s um, when I had Harvey. And I think that's the time of a tipping point of your sort of career progression. So you're really wanting to make inroads and identify opportunities, as Sonia said, with promotions and things like that. You've got a, you know, a bit like um, a swan on the water. You want to come across as really calm, but you've got so (laughs) much stuff that you're battling with in the in the in the background and I was contracting when I came over to the UK so it's the cost of child care um, balancing the cost of childcare with capacity sort of thing mm. sometimes it just doesn't really pay off um so yeah it's it's difficult to find the right sort of care model for your child you know for the specific situation the age of the child that you know the budget that you have yeah and where that child is in their in their development because every mm. child is different in terms of how they want to be cared for right so did you find there was a big uh, difference in sort of childcare support between here in the UK and and back in Switzerland? Yeah, massive. I think um, it is different. So Bobby was in nursery from when he was eight months old and his nursery opened at 10 to 7 and you could keep them on there till 7 in the evening. So wheel him in because he (laughs) couldn't walk, right? It's 7 in the morning. And it was a real push to get to pick him up at quarter to 6 um whereas here nowhere does that early 7 30 is the earliest here and you and there's no later than six and whilst that seems suitable hours for the child making that work if you're coming from London is quite I have to leave the office at 10 past four in order to get back to pick them up for six so yeah I get. I guess I mean we we want to kind of talk a lot here about you know some of the some of the challenges that I suppose single parents face it seems like childcare would be a huge one I mean I have an eight-month-old at the moment and we're currently looking at nurseries and things and even with you know the two earning parents it's still so much money and I can see why the lower earners will, will and that tends to offer me women will stop work because actually the cost of nursery doesn't really stack up so I think yeah for for single parents it's it's a huge deal isn't it and and as you said Amanda it's having a nursery that w- will give you the hours that enables you to work and especially if you're commuting and if you don't have flexibility with your work we were doing a bit of research before and there was something which kind of surprised me which was something like you know after the pandemic because after the peak the kind of number of Childcare facilities available reduced, and also the cost of childcare went up. So baffles me. It's just even harder now. It, it would seem um, to to get childcare. So yeah, a really a really tough one. And Amanda, you you became a single parent when your little one was you'd say fourteen months, was it? Yeah, fourteen months. And then Sonia, how old were your children? I think they were about four and seven, something like that. And and I um I I couldn't afford a nursery full stop. There was just no way. Right, yes, right. But I but I had my children. When I was a lot younger than Amanda, so I was twenty one when I had Craig. And right. whilst I was in leadership role, it was quite a junior leadership role, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't earning an awful lot of money. And 
my parents always they always encouraged me to push myself harder so yeah. I did get that mortgage and, and I was like then I was like oh god I've got this mortgage and I'm on my own and I'm in my still in my 20s what the hell am I going to do and and I suppose it was about that how how do how do I balance that so it really was I mean the, the au pair thing when I look back was probably one of my scariest things that I ever did because really? you know, I brought a person into my home that I didn't know very well and stranger with, yeah. you know to go to work you know and and, yeah, and I, know, yeah. I look back now and just think I don't regret it they're fine um and and the the girls were lovely that did work with me but it when you look back it was a really scary thing to do but needs must at the time. That was my option. You know, I did lean on my parents, my sister and my ex-husband, actually, he was quite good, to be fair. But that was the only thing I could do because there's absolutely no way, a bit like a man, there's no way that I could have got back from my job for tea time. Right. I wouldn't have been able to work. I would have had to have taken a part-time job. There's no way. Yeah. When we spoke before, we, I think we spoke a bit about the kind of, I suppose perceptions around or misconceptions around kind of single working parents and you know particularly in the in the community and, and perhaps amongst other kind of parents at school what are those kind of misconceptions that exist in in both your of your experiences would you say I'll tell you about my experience of other parents at schools um Katie that I did well I didn't really have any because I never went to the school I never went to parents evening I never I feel bad saying it, but I, I didn't, just couldn't. And um, it's very rare I picked up um, my children from school and the teachers hardly knew me at all. And in fact, there's a, a very silly, funny story. One one teacher phoned me one day and said, um, hello, you know, I hope you're okay. Uh, Cameron's been to school today and said that congratulations are in order because she had a baby last night. And I said, I'm sorry. So she said, well, yes, well, we haven't seen you for a while. So we didn't realise you were pregnant, but we just wanted to say congratulations and I hope everything's okay and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, what are you talking about? And it was because Cameron hadn't done his homework or something like that. And so he was trying, he just made up whatever lie he could. Oh. And he believed him because obviously they'd never seen me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was an interesting tea time. Um, but yeah, so I did. So I didn't know any of the parents um, and I didn't know any of the teachers, really. Um, it was just they just stared at me when I went to pick the kids up on the odd occasion. Like, Who's that? It's Cameron's mum. <laughs> I think, you know, to, to Sonia's point about sort of not being an active parent or actively engaging the school through, you know, opportunities such as parents evening and, and sports day and, and, and things like that. I think that since or during COVID when they did go to school and they had to then have a you know lockdown it was sort of in and out um a lot of things were done online so I had I've had Harvey's two three parents evenings on online that worked because I think I was in the I think I was in the office when I had that you know great yeah Yeah. Mm. Yeah. but I must admit as an employer so we're talking a few years ago now so my youngest is 30 next year so years you know time has moved on but as an employer so I have been an employer of parents for a long time I since I have always made sure that people feel really comfortable to ask for that time or to say oh I'm going to be late in because I'm going to do this so I'm going to leave early because I'm going to do that and it makes for a much better working environment I think so I've tried my best since having the experience yeah. to try and make it better for others but I think it's not the same for everyone in every organization is it so I think you raise a really good point there Sonia because um you know it's about having that 
trust and that mature relationship with your manager, isn't it? Where you mm. can put your hands up and say, you know, I really like to go to this sports day. It's his or her's first one or yeah. got to leave parents evening or, you know, even if the child is sick at school, you know, it's really manager dependent because I've been in situations where I felt um, particularly during the pandemic, had the most amazing manager who could see, you know, Harvey was four, couldn't, couldn't go to the loo by himself, all of these things. And I would be in steering committees and I'd have to step away. And, you know, my working hours weren't, couldn't, couldn't be the same. And so sort of having that really open and trusting relationship, we got a, to a solution that really worked. It does, it does seem like this kind of flexibility has run through so many of the episodes we've done so far in this series, kind of mm. just the need for employers to offer as much flexibility to fit around working parents' lives as possible, really. And we've also heard a lot about mum guilt from guests so far. And if you're co-parenting with someone, you could go to work and, and you know there's somebody else there who cares, who loves your child, who will take them. Uh, and that helps to get rid of some of your guilt, maybe. But if it's just you parenting, that's that's really tough. Do either of you face and, and have to deal with that mum guilt? Oh, oh I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it was huge for me. I think I spent my whole 20s in some sort of miserable trance. I can't, I can't really explain what it was like. It was like I was guilty. I felt guilty all the time. I felt embarrassed. I felt guilty for asking for help all the time. I felt angry sometimes because, you know, I had a boss once who said, uh, I said, can I take some time off? My child's ill. I think one of the kids were ill. And he said, well, it depends what's important to you. It was that sort of conversation. Yeah. You know, it was, and I was a bit like, well, you know, well, I'll, I'll, what I'll do, I'll pop home. I can tell you this now. This is what I said. I'll pop home, see how he is or pick him up from school, whatever it was. And then I'll get him to my mum's or I'll get him to my sister's or whatever the excuse was at the time. And then I'll get back as soon as I can. And he said, oh, that's good. And 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 it, it really was like that. I spent 10 years like that on and off. And I'd say, you know, mummy's really sorry that she has to work so much. And my, my children would say things to me like, um, well, it's okay because we know you have to work hard so you can earn pennies so we can have nice things and holidays. And I go, yeah, but I am really sorry. I can't do this and I can't do it. And they go, it's okay, mummy, don't be sad. You know, so it was, a, it was love. That bit was lovely. But I can, I can tell you now, for me, that was a huge chunk of my life. Mm-hmm. I, I regret, I have to say, I regret it now. I regret, I regret feeling so bad all that time because they're pretty, they're pretty stable now. They are, um, they're not damaged. So. No, but the thing is, you were just functioning within an environment that was pretty toxic by the sound mm. of it, and you just had to do what you had to do. And it's really sad to think that you had to go through that. Um, Can I ask? So you've spoken about this boss who sounds awful. Can I say? But um, in terms of that mum guilt, did you see any signs of people sort of affirming the reasons for your guilt outside of work? Do you feel there was any sort of judgment or expectation around what you were doing with the kids? Like they were um, working too hard and not, not around enough? I think, I think that's, I think because I felt so guilty, I felt there was that. Right. So I felt that they were judging me, you know, you should be looking after your family. You know, I think I thought that, but I right. think in the reality of it was that was me feeling guilty. I think actually my parents would, and my sister and everyone else is trying to be, as supportive as possible so that you know I could afford to keep that house and I could afford to keep our family life going as such so I think I think it was more paranoia Mm. actually than than anything else that's the thing isn't it you always have 
and it's all in all aspects of your life you have this inner critic don't you mm. you're chatting away and evaluating you and a lot of it is you sort of catastrophizing and and sort of fantasizing about these perceptions people have of you you've got to you know find the right self-affirmation that you're doing the right thing and that you don't have any other option it is um like you say it's, it's it's a real challenge I think your inner critic is the worst thing yeah honestly you're both kind of inspirations to me because we have a, a you know an eight-month-old as I said and and there's two of us and it's really hard work really really hard work and so to do it on your own is so impressive and I think you are absolutely superheroes. I heard um something that was really quite apt today I was um, looking through some Instagram reels and I um, came across this this woman who said you know you're expected to work like you don't have children yet you're expected to parent like you don't have a job and yes. I sat there and I thought that's really true although work you know employers and communities and are all acknowledging this there's still that underlying tone it's going but it's not gone yeah Completely. And I think that kind of brings us on to, I suppose, delving a bit more into what employers can do here. So I suppose we, we've spoken about providing flexibility to employees. And I, and I think, Sonia, you said, you know, when you were managing people, you were very keen to embrace people's families and allow, allow people mm-hmm. to openly say when they had family time. And we've had other episodes where role models in an organisation with quite senior positions would be putting in their calendar, you know, children's sports day, kind of making it very clear that that's what they're doing. So role models have a part to play as well. From from both of your perspectives, is there anything else that employers can be doing, perhaps helping with mum guilt in any way or, yeah, and anything else to particularly help single parents? Um, the employer can demonstrate, poli- you know, working policies, practices, you know, the, the support through, I think you have five emergency days for your, for your child, for things like they can give you the package. But actually, when you want to activate that package, you know, actually, I know some managers didn't know what didn't know about it. Um, And I actually think it comes really down to the individual who you're the direct report of, because I have different experiences. And the the financial services, the companies are all very similar in terms of their policies and offerings and, and things like that. And it's actually been always down to the individual who manages me as to how comfortable I feel about asking for those and actually implementing those those um, offerings that are part of my contract. And I don't think it's just me who says, I think it's a lot of people who say, you know, when I walk from an organisation, I'm not leaving the organisation, I'm leaving the manager. You know, if you identify your boundaries, set them, if they're not respected or acknowledged, then you walk away. For me, single parenting, you've got to hold the line on these things because your world falls apart and then you get guilt and all these other things. It all starts spinning out of control. You have to hold your boundaries. I think as an addition to that, because the reality of it is there's a lot of organisations are putting policies in place, which is a great thing to do. You can have all the right intentions as an employer, Mm. but you still have to run your business. Okay, so the bottom line is you have to be able to run your business. You have to be able to answer your customer calls or you need to be able to deliver that whatever needs delivering and I think what's missed is that bit in the middle which is somebody bright and cheerful over there puts the policy in place and everyone does a rah-rah thank you very much but nobody then thinks about what's the reality of that from a working perspective because the reality of it is to be able to give 
everybody's school sports day off and give everybody five emergency days plus whatever, plus whatever, plus leaving at this time for parents evening, you probably have to recruit another five people. And that's the reality of it. And I think, you know, I work with a couple of people at the moment where we're working through these sort of processes because they really want to have flexible working. They want everyone to be happy. They want to give, you know, want to be open and say to people, just work when you like, take holidays when you like. There's all these things they want to do. And I'm having to say to them, well, what's the reality of that? What do you you need to build into your organisation to make that happen? Because only then will it work. Because then your manager, to Amanda's point, your manager won't be giving it lip service or just saying, yeah, yeah, and then sending you emails at 10 o'clock at night because they'll have another vehicle to do that. But at the moment, I think what's happening is a lot of organisations put these processes and policies in place, but don't do the mechanics behind it to make sure that it can work in reality. And only when that happens will it work, in my opinion. It's so interesting. There have been um, just a few people who have been sharing job adverts, specifically from the US, um, where companies who advertise unlimited annual leave and it's just become a bit of a running joke, a bit of a meme, because it's it's quite clear that they're providing unlimited annual leave, but nobody's expected to take any. And I yeah. think it's it's just to your point there, it's entirely that lip service piece. Like, I think there is quite a lot of that out there. And then the planning isn't done to be able to support what would actually be sort of a healthy sort of work-life balance. And then people just don't feel entitled to take it, which it almost makes it worse, really. Well, the the fact is the unlimited um, annual leave, I was literally talking about this to a client the other day, the evidence is that people take a lot less holiday, everybody takes less holiday than they should. So it doesn't work and everyone still feels resentful for the fact that they feel they would love to take a bit more, but they can't because that person's only took 20 days holiday and they mean they were taking 21. It's just it's just a bizarre situation. I think I think one of one of um, somebody we talked to, we agreed to add three extra days holiday on instead. Make this much nicer offering, isn't it? Yeah. So um, we love to end our episodes by asking our guests what their top tip for working parents is. So, Amanda, would you like to go first with yours? Yeah, sure. So I think um, I learned this when I say yeah the hard way. Um, I'm I read to my son every night, but I do find myself, or I have found myself, when I'm reading this to Strong or Zog or Gruffalo or something, that I can actually have a really good skill. I can read and I can also script a work email in my head at the same What? (laughs) Um, That's not good because I'm not engaged with my son. I'm not listening to what he's saying, things like that. So my top parenting tip is I think when you walk away from the computer when you cross into your son's bedroom or you cross into that part of the routine of the nighttime read you know really have intent to do that activity with your with your child as it should be for work you know it works both ways you sit and go right I'm intent here and I'm present here I do it by actually physically walking through the room right I'm actually this is Harvey now this is what I'm going to do. So I'm thinking intentionally about being there in the present with him. And you try and shut up being a critic. <laughs> I love that. It's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, Amanda. And and Sonia, what would yours be? Okay. So my top tip is attacking the uh, mum guilt. So I wish I'd not wasted so many years with mum guilt. I really do. Don't beat yourselves up as a working parent. You are 
still teaching your children really valuable life skills and the life skills you're teaching them are just as good as those parents that are not working okay and I think about my two boys they are both they're what they're 31 and 30 next year and they have their bought their own houses with their own money which I I, we never gave them any money they've got great jobs um one of them's got a child of their own and they're a fantastic parent um and they work and I just think you know you you need to be able to keep things in perspective you're doing your best so try not to beat yourself up that's what I would say that's fantastic thank you Sonia yeah thank you for listening to the parenthood diaries If you like what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And hey, why not even share this episode with a friend? We want to hear from you. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at risky underscore mix to take part in the upcoming polls and let us know what you thought of this episode. Let's keep the conversation going. And just one more thing. Do you have an amazing tip which will help out fellow working parents? Film a 60 second clip for social media, LinkedIn or Twitter or both with your response to life of a working parent, your top tip. Use hashtag parent life and don't forget to tag us so we can see all the great advice. I know I'm looking for all the advice I can get right now. 